Hello. Is it the Metal Hammer podcast you're looking for? Because if you are, you're in good luck. <laughs> wow. Come on, that was my best intro ever. Give a man a break. I'm Mo. I'm here with Metal Hammer Deputy Editor, Eleanor. How are you, Eleanor? I'm mixed. Mixed? Okay. Yeah, mixed feelings. What's going on? On the one hand, I'm sad because we haven't got Jimmy Havoc this week. We did. We had Jimmy in for the big 2020 preview last week. If you haven't checked that out yet, get on it now. It is long and awesome. And on the other hand, I'm happy because I've listened to two amazing records in the last two days that I'm really excited about. I think I know which ones you were talking about. I and think if so, you do. We can't talk about them yet. We can't. But we're doing that wanky journalist thing. Oh, Check but us out. I'm just excited <laughs> because it's 2020 and January's always a bit tough. And it's really nice to have heard a couple of things and feel really excited. No, you know what? I, I totally agree with you. I tweeted earlier today. Um, I've got a really good feeling about metal's output this year. And I know that sounds like the kind of open-ended thing people put on Twitter a lot. Sounds like something a wanky music journalist would put on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm smoke, literally stroking my beard as you, as you say that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of good signs early on that we're in for a hallmark year for metal. And I just don't know. But, I mean, we went through this last week, didn't we? But when you look at the bands that are releasing albums this year, the bands that are due a bit of a statement, I think, the bands that are on a really good roll, um, I just think we're going to hear a lot of good stuff this year. And I'm getting more and more excited as I think about it, which is probably a good segue straight into our new issue, which is out right now. It is. It is the big 2020 preview issue. It's absolutely massive. Busted our asses putting this bad boy together at the end of last year, let me tell you that. Uh, this issue features four exclusive covers. We're kicking off the year in style. Um, we really wanted to make a statement about the kind of breadth and uh, depth of the metal scene in 2020, which is why we've got four covers, four cover artists, all available on UK newsstands right now. Uh, first up, we've got Parkway Drive making their return to the cover of Metal Hammer for the first time in five years. Uh, they are, of course, headlining Wembley, their biggest show ever um, next month, I believe that is, isn't it, in February. Um, packing a massive bill as well. Hate Breed, Stick to Your Guns and Venom Prison all coming along to that gig. It's going to be unbelievable. Uh, also got their um, massive uh, Viva the Underdogs documentary on the way as well. Um, yeah, another massive year for a band that continue to just defy expectations. So Parkway Driver on the cover. We're also packing Merc here. Uh, one of the most exciting voices to come out of the underground in many a year. Um, she's giving her first interview to us in quite some time. She's taken a bit of time out um, and you can find out why that is and what she's got coming up this year and why you should be very excited about it in the new issue. Also making a long, long awaited return to the cover of Metal Hammer, Mr. King Diamonds. What a living metal legend, Al. He has good face makeup and, <laughs> and a long history in heavy music. And uh, I've got to say, I mean, all these covers look fantastic. I, I absolutely adore um, the work that uh, Travis Shin and over in the US has done with King Diamond for this cover. It looks so awesome, like the kind of thing you want to hang on your wall. Um, another uh, huge metal uh, icon with a lot of stuff coming up this year. His own solo material um, or kind of his own main band, let's say. I've got stuff coming out. There's also Merciful Fate action going on for the first time in a while. That's very exciting. Uh, and as you'll find out if you pick up the new issue, um, he's very much a man who uh, is all about the future, which is great. Um, we've also got a world exclusive interview with Devin Townsend, who completes our quartet of covers 
Um, another iconic name, another vital, vital uh, name in the metal scene across the last 10 to 20 years. Um, really interesting interview, that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's just got uh, loads of interesting things to say. We were talking, last time we talked to him, it was for a podcast, and we were talking about how he was going through a midlife crisis um, while he was uh, coming out of recording Empath, his first solo record in a long time. Um, this time when we catch up with him, is kind of reflecting on that and what it all means to him. And of course, there's a big Bloodstock show coming up in summer as well. Yeah, of course, he's headlining Bloodstock. So yeah, again, it is all about the big things that are happening in 2020 um so yeah you won't get a very more varied bunch of metal artists uh across one magazine than that so parkway drive Mercury, king diamond and devin townsend very excited to have those four artists on our cover um every single magazine comes with a free art print of all four of those artists uh, exclusive to metal hammer um so for some reason you really want the Mercury art print but you can't find the Mercury cover it does come with all the issues that you can find so don't worry they're all they've all got the same gifts in there um, and every magazine also comes with a giant Slipknot poster, uh, poster sorry, um, featuring those gorgeous shots that we had last year when we did that big cover run with them. Uh, so yeah, if you're a Slipknot fan, you might want to pick up this issue as well. Um, as mentioned, it's also got a big 2020 preview. We go into what the likes of Slipknot, Rage Against the Machine, Gajira, Deftones, Lamb of God and others will be up to this year. There's brand new interviews with Steve Harris, the Iron Maiden legend. Uh, as he uh, re not really resurrects, but um, kind of beasts back up and and gets his um, British Lion project back on the road and and back out with a new album. Uh, there's also uh, a look inside Slayer's last show ever, which seems like a long time ago now, but it was only a matter of weeks ago actually. Yeah, time moves weirdly around Christmas and New <laughs> it does, Year, doesn't it? It really does. But it was a really heartening read. I sort of read it and felt a bit misty eyed. Yeah. And um, it's all the action from that last show in LA and I, the I've, sense of ceremony. I've heard rumours that it features pastries and Jason Momoa in well, that feature. So. your rumours may be true. <laughs> they come from a good source. Um, <laughs> also, brand new interviews with the likes of Employed to Serve, Volbeat, Dream Theatre, all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, really excited about this issue. Um, so please do go pick it up, obviously. Four artists on those covers that maybe don't always you don't always see on the cover of Metal Hammer, so we're very excited to be able to get behind them. So go out and support these bands, pick up these covers, people. Um, and you may not be surprised to know that we will be bringing out some very special bundle editions involving all four of those bands over the coming day. So stay tuned to metalhammer.com, uh, more specifically tinyurl.com forward slash buy hammer. Um, and if you want to go out to your nearest shop in the UK to pick one up. It's uh, tinyurl.com forward slash find hammer. What's going on in the news, Al? Loads of stuff. Uh, Good and bad. Yeah, pretty crazy. On Monday, it came through on social media. Everyone was talking about Coco in Camden being on fire. Yeah, that so fucking sucks. Big venue in Camden used to be called the Camden Palace. And obviously a ton of bands from our world have played there. And it's just always really shocking to see pictures of places on fire and when it's a music venue it's doubly upsetting because those have been dwindling in the UK the last few mm. years and we want to keep the scene alive and the London scene alive and the UK scene alive and it's just yeah it's, luckily it doesn't look like anyone was hurt or injured or anything like that and they got it under control so fingers crossed the damage hasn't been too extensive and they can repair they it's actually undergoing a reno renovation at the moment so this fire happened during the renovation period 
Yeah, awful. Um, no, never something you'd like to see. And uh, yeah, a, a, I mean, a venue we've been to countless times. I yeah. think I think that might. Um, I think the Camden Palace was the first gig I ever went to that was kind of like um, not like a big hallmark arena style gig or academy style gig. It was it was one of the first times I ever just hopped on a train into Camden with my mates and just went to kind of a fairly low key venue. Do you remember the band Sponge? Yeah, of course. Kind of pop punk. With the, bra- the square brackets around them and the U. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kicking pigeons. Um, I, yeah, I went to see them at the Camden Palace and it was my first ever stage divers at that gig. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a lot of people have a lot of memories from from that place and uh, hopefully hopefully it gets sorted out and we get to see Coco back in action. Um, in much better and interesting news, uh, Ozzy's been busy. Great to see the Oz man properly back at it now after his uh, health issues over the last couple of years. Um, Ozzy and Elton John are working on a new song together. That's your dream. Care? <laughs> <laughs> That's literally your dream. Yeah. You um, love Elton John and you love Ozzy. I absolutely adore Elton John. I, re- I read his autobiography recently and it might be the best autobiography I've ever read. I mean, I was already a huge fan, but it's made me like an even huger fan. Um, and yeah, Ozzy's all right as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's done a few good things. You named your dog after him. Yes, we did. Shout out Ozzy Pawsborn. Um, yeah Ozzy and Elton working together what's really interesting about this is is I kind of assume it's going to be a kind of piano ballady number because that's what they both have uh, I mean Elton's obviously known for that but Ozzy's very much dipped his toes in that a lot over the years Um, but it's not the first time Elton's worked with a really heavy band I mean he worked with Alice in Chains on Mm -hmm. Black Is Way to Blue which Um, was piano-y it was piano-y and a a wonderful song as well Um, he's worked with Saxon before in the 80s I found out recently which I didn't actually know yeah um so uh as much as Ozzy's very much kind of um you know in the Hollywood's mainstream you know bubble nowadays um Elton definitely knows his stuff when it comes to working with Metal Axe as well so I'm really interested to see how that comes about um Sharon Osbourne actually confirmed it on her CBS show The Talk so it is officially happening um and Ozzy released a new video this week for new song Straight to Hell which is very riotous some might say Hmm. very riotous did you say yes wow okay yeah <laughs> that is a terrible pun there is a well, it's quite good riot in the video as merlin alluded to it's got ozzy just hanging around while all hell kicks loose on the streets basically yeah and he's which is very like, kind of uh i guess pertinent in the modern climate he's in like a mystical robe type thing just i don't know what his role is just being there and there's a naked man he runs into like across the screen he runs about yeah he does and there's the lyric, I'll make you scream, I'll make you defecate. Lovely. I mean, we've all had that experience. Yeah, we've we'll, sure. we'll all had the experience <laughs> of screaming and defecating. At the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know what? I think it's really cool that Ozzy, I guess, and you know the people involved in this in this new album are interested in actually doing proper videos still. Yeah, definitely. I said before, it feels like we're in an era where videos mean a bit more than they maybe did 10 years ago because... A lot of people use YouTube to consume music Definitely. now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Ozzy obviously did uh, the Under the Graveyard video, which had the kind of um, the like biographical video thing going on with someone playing him going through uh, you know addiction and everything else. And now this one's got a big theme and it looks really well shot. Ozzy looks really cool in it. It's just cool to see people still taking that medium seriously. I agree. Opinion. It's really nice to watch a music video now and just enjoy it and... A lot of the time, it just kind of stick in your head as well. Like we were listening to the Lindemann song, well, the Lindemann album earlier in the office, and I couldn't help but think of um, 
the video he did the not safe for work video with yeah, the eels yeah. and it's like as soon as you you know if something has a really good video and it's really well shot or really conceptually awesome then when you listen to the music the images come into your mind and it all kind of works together so I'm really yeah, really, I'm really into it yeah i think it's great um like i'm definitely at that point in my life now where i like having friends around my house cracking open beers and just watching, watching music videos, videos. Yeah. and a lot of them tend to end up coming from the 90s because that's when a lot <laughs> of the music video productions look great but it's cool when you can throw in new ones as well so keep at it bands obviously i appreciate not everyone has the budget of ozzy osbourne but <laughs> you know we can get creative um Cavell attack also have a new song out uh crack of doom which features mastodon's troy sanders very surprisingly it's sung in english it is what do we think of what well what do you think of the track and what do you think of it being sung in english i like the track it sounds really Cavell attack um <laughs> we were having an office discussion before we got in here because i was listening to it and i go i was going oh it sounds really like something but i can't think what it sounds like and merlin's like is it another cavella attack song <laughs> 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 and i was like no it's not another cavella attack song it's something else <laughs> it was another cavella attack song um it, yeah, it sounds really like them it's got this sort of like classic uh vibe to it and you sort of feel a bit like you should be in like a bar or a bar brawl or something this one makes me think of being in a bar and a desert although lyrically it's not like any of those things where am i going with this i, I think it's good i, I know like what you it. mean i know what you mean cavella tax songs just make me want to move all the time yeah. and this feels a little bit more frenetic than what they were doing on the last album i wasn't massively keen on what they did on the last record with the kind of status quo-y like kind of uh, just almost plodding rock and roll vibe that they brought in. I wasn't quite as into that. Um, so I'm glad to hear that they're kind of picking it up a bit now with this. I wasn't really keen on the idea of them singing in English, to be honest, when I first heard about it. I think it takes away something from them, just some of that otherness that always made them such a unique mm. proposition. And when a band that's made their career singing in their native language, then suddenly starts singing in English at this point, can't help but feel it might be a bit of a cynical move because they are at the point where maybe they want to appeal to a wider audience and yada, yada, yada. But that all said, um, I like the song to start with, but it's grown and grown and grown on me. And every time it, it, it comes around now, I do find myself singing some of those little hooks. So it's worked. Yeah. It's, it's earwormed me in a way that some of their other stuff didn't. So Yeah, I agree. It's taking me a bit it, unawares. I think it is an earworm. I think it just, it's a good song. And like you said, when you listen to it, you kind of end up singing it a bit, so mm. yeah. Do we think? Cool. Of, I mean, I'm fascinated to know what this next era will do for them because they've signed to Rise Records. Um, they have a new song out in English. They've got Mastodon on there, which is a great name to drop. Very cool, credible big metal band. Um, Kvelatak are definitely one of those bands where, if you'd asked a lot of us ten years ago, you know how far they could go. I think a lot of people felt like they could have gone a bit further than they have. Yeah. Like, I mean, and don't let me take anything away from them. They've headlined kind of cool festivals in London and they've supported Metallica on tour, which is crazy. Um, you know, they've, they, you know, they've done a lot of different things and they've experimented and they've moved a lot, but they, when they came out, I thought they were genuinely the most exciting thing I'd heard in metal in about 10 years. Mm. Um, and I really hope they can, get some of that momentum back because they are of all the bands that have been around they're one of the ones that i would love to see really get back on the horse and just get somewhere mm -hmm. really significant you know what i mean yeah cross over totally. in a way that you know you wouldn't expect a norwegian band singing norwegian and totally and maybe wearing owls on their heads to cross <laughs> over <laughs> all the owls and then score part 
No, totally. And you know, well, it was. They got a new singer now, so I don't know if they still do that shtick. Don't know. No idea. I haven't seen him live with the new guy yet. No, so. me either. Um, I. He's the guy from the Good, the Bad, and the Zugly, I believe. Yeah, I know what you mean when you say, "Oh, maybe switching to English is cynical," but it can also be not cynical. I mean, it depends what you mean by cynical, really. Like, I think it's fine for a band to say we want to sing in English because we want to have wider appeal. Like you can call that cynical, but also you could call it realistic yeah. and changing yeah, tack. Yeah, that's fair. I've got and, no issue with bands you know, wanting to make a living. And, exactly. You know, <laughs> and you can still not. make a good song and still have it reflect your identity. Yeah. I, you know, I, I sort of see what you mean about not singing in a native language and maybe losing something. And there's an argument to be made for that, but there's also an argument to be made that you can make a really good song and you can sing in English and you can still have fun and artistic integrity doing that and appeal to a lot of people. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily a cynical or a bad thing, but we'll have to ask them, won't we? I think you're why right. Why they've done it and yeah. what it's all about. Maybe we should interview them soon. Maybe How about we that? should. You'd like that, wouldn't you, listeners? <laughs> Bet you would. Uh, what, what else is going on in the world? The most, one of the less uh, surprising things to be announced this week, I guess. Yeah, Rage Against the Machine have been confirmed as headlining Coachella on the Friday night of both weekends. Yes, I think we knew that that was probably the case because we'd seen that they were playing California on I, what were going to be the, yeah, I the thought, Coachella dates. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I felt like I knew they were playing Coachella already. So Yeah, I think, I mean, they basically were, weren't they? But yeah, yeah. they've now been confirmed um, that Friday night of... Uh, both weekends is actually looking really good there's them run the jewels code orange are playing that day uh, i think idols are playing that day and there's loads of dancey stuff um l owned me in the office the other day <laughs> if people still use that term because i basically listed uh, a load of cool bands that i wanted to see and l pointed out that it looked like a postcode which was actually <laughs> Was it, was well, it full address actually wasn't it calvin harris lane eight brockhampton <laughs> yeah. charlie xcx <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I put out this list. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go see that. And I was like, looks like an address. <laughs> I was like, thanks, mate. Made me look like a pathetic hipster. Did All those like artists are really good. Um, but that all said, Rage Against the Machine doing Coachella is this really the platform where they're going to come back and make a bang and blow people's minds at? What, for all intents and purposes, is often portrayed as a bit of a lovey-dovey yeah. hipster fest. I've never been to Coachella, but everything you read is basically like, um, it's a hipster festival. People go there and take a lot of time and attention over what clothes they wear and who they're seen with. And everyone wants to be backstage and all the rest of it and be seen. Um, I don't know. You could look at it in a few ways, couldn't you? Like, I don't think... It's going to have the same atmosphere as them doing a big metal festival, a rock festival. Mm. But at the same time, if we want, like we talk about, you know, metal not being pushed into like a tiny niche corner and metal having exposure. That's a good point. And if you're playing something like Coachella, I bet there's a lot of people who don't really know who they are and they could, um, it could be a really good thing because loads of new people could be introduced to them and they could become cool in that way that some other things are cool. And then that could, it just could be a good thing. Like people could get into them and get into other metal. And I I think, you know, new audiences being exposed to metal is never a bad thing. I think that's a very fair point. And maybe if there's a chance that um, 
you know, someone goes there to see Rage Against the Machine and they happen to stumble across Code Orange that day. Yeah, exactly. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, and if you do happen to be listening and you're going to America or you're going to be in America and you are going to a Co- Coachella to see Rage Against the Machine, for God's sake, go and see Code Orange as well because they are very, very awesome. Maybe you go there, you know, in your denim shorts hoping to look cool and then you hear Rage Against the Machine and suddenly you're fully politicised. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that'd be good. It'd be nice to see that. Um, but yeah, I don't. having not been to Coachella, I don't have a, you know... Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard it to might sort of be... get a read on what it is because yeah. it could just be people being snarky about something that's actually just like a really good and fun event. That is true, and I'm a I'm a big big defender of Glastonbury, which I think is the best festival in the world. And if you only, um, if you only kind of paid attention to like the kind of surface level coverage, you would probably think the exact same thing about Glastonbury, totally. and a lot of people do. So, and I kind of think that way might about be Glastonbury, being a bit even though I've been there and know that it's not how it is portrayed. If you know what I mean, you do tend mm. to. Because the media coverage of it is just so like middle class and woo woo and reverential, you kind of go, oh, it really sort of turns you off. Yeah. But yeah, you actually go there and it's you know it's a lot more down to earth. I guess what we're saying is, if anyone wants to bring us to Coachella, so we can make <laughs> sure that its our expectations can be crushed uh, or confounded, I should say. Yeah, we want to um, we want to go and be like you know we come back and rave blown. about it. Yeah, I want the opposite of crushed. I want my expectations to be blown apart. In amazing ways. <laughs> <laughs> Still early January, guys. Bear with me. Yeah, we have to warm up a bit. <laughs> God. Right. Starting this year, uh, which is now, by the way, we are going to start doing an album of the week. It's one of the things a lot of you guys on the Metal Hammer Facebook pa- uh, Reader's Facebook page said you'd like to see more of more album reviews. So we're going to start doing it. So starting now, every single week on this podcast, we're going to be reviewing an album of our choice and sometimes an album of your choice. Uh, but more on that in uh, weeks to come. Uh, so this week there's a few interesting releases out this week um, the new Apocalyptica album is out it's called Chell O or Chell Zero I don't know how you pronounce that I don't one. know how you pronounce it it's this cello but spelt with a dash and a zero um, and that's that's all instrumental so no vocals on that one um, although I'm pretty sure they're not I listened to um, a bit of that and it's interesting and uh, it's you know very dramatic some quite emotional bits in there um, if you like Apocalyptica by now you probably know what they're about uh, dudes with cellos playing kind of heavy metal style songs um, if that sounds like your bag it is a very solid Apocalyptica album and it's good one to put on if you're with people who maybe aren't into metal as much as you are because it sort of crosses over a bit in the sense that it is palatable for people who aren't into really heavy stuff that's a nice idea that's a kind of a, a relevant to a question someone asked us later actually as well um and also out this week there's uh, a young band on nuclear blast records called oceans uh, their album's called the sun and the cold i gave that a listen as well very interesting if you're into kind of um in flamesy by way of i'd say amorphous kind of stuff um if that sounds like your bag definitely go check that out but we like to give ourselves a laugh here on the metal Hammer podcast <laughs> so for our first album of the week we decided that we would review possibly the most power metal power metal album of all time. <laughs> um, or certainly in some uh, cases, which we'll get into anyway. Uh, we're reviewing the second album from Brothers of Metal. Yes. It is called Endless Saga. It's out on Friday via uh, AFM Records. Um, and if you haven't heard of Brothers of Metal, they are an eight-piece band with three singers 
called uh, Joaquim uh, Ilva. I don't know how to pronounce that. I think it's Y-L-V-A and Mats. Um, and they basically rock about in loincloths, um, making a massive, epic, power-slash-heavy metal racket. I think Ilva means wolf. Oh, cool. Could be wrong. I'm just doing that off the top of my head. Awesome, so if true. So please don't kill me if it's wrong. Massive, if true. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, their new album is called Emblast Saga. And basically, if you like the idea of a monomath lyrics being funneled through the greatest hits of... I mean, I said power metal earlier, but I guess you could kind of say the greatest hits of almost like geek metal. And I will clarify that uh, because, I mean, that with you know coming from an absolute nerd myself um so i'm talking things like power metal folk metal symphonic metal um pirate metal even there's a bit of that mm-hmm. in there everything that comes into that fun um shamelessly proud to be ridiculous uh, side of the genre that we all know and love so well um so yeah it's like the ultimate nerd metal album this and i actually had a really good time listening to it um all the lyrics, as I say, are kind of based in Viking mythology. It's very conceptually heavy. Um, there's kind of spoken word narrative bits in there as well. Um, I guess we could just go into it, really. They, I mean, there's the bands that come to mind for this album are things like Powerwolf, Sabaton, uh, bits of Ends of Fear I found. There's a couple of things on there that remind me of Ailstorm as well. Um, Dragon Forcey bits as well. Uh, all that kind of really super high-octane, gung-ho pompous um well over the top super cheesy stuff um the first proper song in there is called power snake (laughs) so good (laughs) which i had a great time listening to it's this kind of stomping swaying heavy metal cheese and synth epic um one of the tracks i really like there was on on there was a song called chain breaker which was just the most judas priest song not made by judas priest that you're going to hear this year even the song sounds like a uh, even the title sorry Sounds like a Judas Priest track. Um, that's really good fun. Uh, there's a song on there called Kaunas Dagaz, which means Dawn of Fire. Uh, that reminded me of the more kind of Amaran slash Epica side of the scene. Um, yeah, I just found this a really fun, absolutely ridiculous album. And the thing is, it's easy to be snidey about these kind of bands, I think. And I think there's a lot of sides of the metal scene that are quite snidey towards this kind of stuff. You. What I chose this to review. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm the biggest Nightwish fan on the team, all right? Fine. Give me a chance. Fine. I like Sonic Firestorm as much as the next guy. Fine. Um, but there are there are I think there's a lot there's a lot of snidiness towards this. And yeah, to be fair to Al, like I you know, I'll I'll sometimes laugh off some of these things when you get put on our desk and we see a promo picture with a band waving a battle axe around. Yeah, he says having you know, put Johan Hegg on the cover last year. Exactly. <laughs> the promo shot is literally all of them dressed in fur. Yeah. So, you know. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of snidiness towards this side of the scene. And um, I think ultimately, like, this stuff is all about just having a good fucking time in the name of heavy fucking metal. And in years gone by, we've seen the likes of Teresas, which is, I think, another big um, touching point for this uh, this album. And there's a lot of stuff that reminded me of those early Teresas albums on here. Um, we saw them kind of break in a big way in the early 2000s. We saw Ailstorm come through that way in the early 2000s. Um, a slightly different vibe, obviously, but Lordy came through and had a bit of a moment at one point. I think there's a gap at the moment for a, a fun, ridiculous metal band to come through. 
Um, Evil Scarecrow is the other one as well. Just kind of that ridiculous fun where they turn up to a festival and you know you're going to get an hour. Everyone has a ridiculous time and they're going to be dressed like Wallies and it's going to be a blast. And I think there's another gap for that at the moment. And I could definitely see Brothers of Metal walking into that. We should say as well, they're from Fallon in Sweden, which is the same place as Sabaton. And to me, it does sound a bit like Sabaton decided to set up some sort of covert training camp for the next generation of power metalers. <laughs> yeah, and then okay. well, great idea. They, they sort of battled beneath, uh, where would they be? Like some underground lair full of mead and axes. Underneath Asgard. Yeah, and they had loads. In the dungeons of Asgard. Yeah. And then they had loads of bands fight it out and Brothers of Metal came out on top. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's wicked fun. Look, you already know if you're going to like this album or not, right? But um, uh, all my notes on this record pretty much just say things like full-hearted, epic, gung-ho, galloping. Um, it's, the whole thing's just an absolute blast. It really is. What's quite weird as well is that when you listen through it, some bits, your brain goes, you're listening to symphonic metal because... Uh, you know there's a female voice and it sounds very strong and then like a few minutes later there'll be like a really gravelly vocal and some kind of like riff and you're like oh I'm listening to power metal it's like yeah. almost switches between the two I will say that's one thing because there's three singers apparently but I only really could properly pick out two of them um, which as you say is the, is the kind of uh, higher end female vocals and the, the gravelly like kind of sabatoni vocals um so very they, de they definitely dominate the uh the the album um but they intertwine with each other really well and it and it does give it a few different layers that maybe a lot of this stuff doesn't have so much like you said El, there are moments on here that remind me more of the symphonic metal scene yeah. rather than not even just because of the vocals but because of the actual music itself. yeah totally me too um and there, there's bits on here that are proper folky there's a song called Weaver of Fate, which is the big kind of almost token, has to be their acoustic, folky power ballad. I'm sure that'll get a lot of people singing along. Um, the most Sabaton song on there is a song called Njord, which is very militant, marching number, very imperious. Uh, uh, there's another song on there called One, which basically, again, sounds like Sabaton with, with extra horn sections and lots of Thor references. <laughs> I can't remember which song it is, but there's a song about someone nicking Thor's hammer. Oh, probably Theft of the Hammer. Yeah, with that <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, and um, I think that's the lyric where he talks about like, oh, my dad's going to be pissed at you and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, uh, which is really good fun. Um, yeah, just loads of ridiculous over-the-top stuff. Um, there's a song called Ride of the Valkyries on there I was disappointed to find it's not a Richard Wagner cover but that's also a good song in itself uh, and the track To the Skies and Beyond is the really Therese Assey one on there too so yeah basically if you like power metal silly fun dress up waving axes around and just smashing some mead and having a really good time this is the album for you. If you don't like that stuff, stay away from the album <laughs> with every <laughs> ounce of your energy. Because trust me, if like Teresa's is a step too far for you, you ain't going to want none of this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had a really good time listening to it anyway. And I definitely think there's potential for Brothers of Metal to be the next um, kind of step out, uh, goofy, fun festival metal band. So someone book them because I reckon they'll go down a storm. Uh, so yeah, the album's called Blast Saga and it's out on friday and if you're not quite into that you can listen to some of that other stuff i suggested as well we don't have casual friday here because we dress casually anyway but if we did i think we should have one that's a brothers of metal themed casual friday and everyone has to come you in you don't want to see me walking around <laughs> in a furry in like, oh, no. no one needs that on a friday jesus <laughs> 
God Almighty. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, we'll be back next week with another album of the week. So I look forward to that. Uh, <laughs> reader questions now. Facebook.com forward slash Mount Hammer Readers is where we take most of our questions for the podcast. Uh, it's also where we're going to be showing you the albums that we, we're going to be discussing each week. Uh, and some weeks when we're not quite sure which one we want to pick, we let you guys vote for it. So make sure you get on there as well. Uh, do you want to take the first question this week, Al? Yeah, sure. It's from Matt Grimster. Happy New Year, Matt. And he says, if you were trying to convince someone to listen to heavy metal and you could only play one song to try and persuade them, what song would you pick? Such a good question. And it, it, we were talking about this, weren't we? Because um, Elle found a video that was, I think, a vocal coach reacting yeah. to Pantera, was it? Yeah, yeah, Cemetery Gates. Yeah, and, and so it's a really cool video. And um, I clicked on that and I ended up going on this kind of YouTube spiral of loads of people just doing those react videos to yeah. metal stuff. And normally I find them a bit cringe because it just seems like the most base level content. But um, when you actually give people the, a proper chance at listening to metal, I think they're a lot more open-minded than people Absolutely. maybe assume. Absolutely. And when you look at these people on these little reaction videos, it's very rare you hear you see anyone going, well, this is crap, it's too heavy, I'm turning it off. They at the very least appreciate yeah, or the power curious. or the you know, the skill or the, the 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 sheer emotion of it. Oh yeah, like you say, they're, sometimes they're just curious. It's a little sort of sneak preview into the issue, but Devin Townsend actually says at one point in our box out for 2020 that um, one of the trends he thinks is going to come to the fore over the next few years is that more people are going to take metal seriously in terms of sound and composition and actually realise that there's a lot to offer there and kind of bring it into other forms of music. I'm paraphrasing, you have to pick up the magazine. Yeah. No, but yeah, but, it does you know, say that. Basically something like that. And I think it's true if someone doesn't know metal, you know, they might have preconceptions about it or just not know anything about it at all. Literally never have heard of it. But listening to something that is different and out of the ordinary and, you know, not sure where it's going to go can be really cool. And I really enjoy watching some of those React videos just to see what people's response is. Because when you listen to metal as well, you get kind of numb to some of the stuff that those people will take real pleasure or find something really interesting or curious in it's just it's cool i like them and the, the potential is really starting to excite me because you know we've talked a lot about how if one thing last decade really lacked it was a band that came from the metal scene that really broke into the mainstream mm. probably the only decade ever where metal hasn't had that like in every single decade you could name at least three or four bands that have really broken through into that mainstream yeah uh arena no pun intended um but you know when you look at like the biggest song of last year unquestionably was surely old town road and that yeah. song came from tiktok basically it was tiktok that made that and song nine inch nails yes very true uh so yeah it's got metal credibility as well but that song basically came from tiktok and you just think the the power of social media now um i don't know if youtube counts as social media really it, it doesn't does it but things like youtube as well um to kind of make songs absolutely massive outside of the the usual mainstream channels is really exciting. And I and I think this could be the decade where metal starts to harness that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing a band like Disturbed getting absolutely massive because they covered a Simon and Garfunkel song and the song itself blown up. But then as we've seen from things like reaction videos, the kind of 
mini culture it's created has blown up even further. And I think once metal bands get their heads around how to take control of that dynamic, I think it's going to be a really exciting time. Uh, maybe you don't need to get Grammy nominated to make a real difference on a mainstream level. Maybe you just need to know how to utilize a music video well or a fun piece of, I don't want to say content, but just a fun piece of something you put together off the back of a song or something. Um, I think the the potential is out there for metal to really break out and reach people. Um, and so if we were going to do that <laughs> ourselves, <laughs> I guess we'd have to pick a song to make it happen. I know that was really roundabout, but it just that reminded really me of roundabout. that conversation we were having the so other day. So basically, yeah, the, the question was, if you're trying to convince someone to listen to heavy metal and you can only play one song, what song would you pick? Yeah, because... It's really hard, isn't it? Because it's hard, yeah. Because you sort of try and you like, I don't know about you, people, I was just you? about to say, you match them to personality types. Yeah. So you know what people like and you try and pick something that you think is going to riff off them. Like if you've got a friend who's really into folk music, you might pick like a Merca track or something. Or if you've got a friend who's like really into uh, ballads, you might pick like a slow, I don't know, slow Devon Townsend song or something. I think a good entrance point is always to find um, if someone's really into something like hip hop. Because I think if you can get them in on that kind of hard beat driven style of like almost like groove metal or like yeah. the kind of bouncier side of the scene. There's a lot of I think you can really bring videos. people in. Yeah, there are definitely. Like to metal. And I think, you know, people really don't realise the similarities between a lot of hip hop and metal culture in a lot of ways. But I think that um, that's a good way in. So, oh, yeah, I don't know. We have to pick our Depends. tracks. I know what I'd pick. I'd probably give someone a smorgasbord to. No, you have to pick one. I'll have to pick one the for everybody. The question is one. Oh. I already did mine. It's basic. Basic bitch metal, but good. Okay. Enter Sandman by Metallica. Right, just because yeah, okay. it's got that, it's got a groove, it's got a beat. I kind it's of feel metal. like people will have heard that already though. Well, no, not necessarily because I played it to my niece and nephew who are children and they'd never heard it. Okay, what did they think of it? Well, they were being naughty. I <laughs> did <laughs> to scare them. So my niece got... Um, Don't do it again or we get Cannibal Corpse. My niece got an Echo Dot for her bedroom. She was super excited. So they were meant to be going to bed, but they were asking Alexa to play. Oh, I shouldn't have said that because somewhere now one of them is going off and someone's listening to this. Anyway, the <laughs> oh, device... Yeah. Alexa, play Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> <laughs> the device was playing songs. Other ones are available. Yeah, the device was playing songs and... Um, so yeah so I went upstairs and they were playing music and jumping up and down on their beds which they are not allowed to do but they were doing it anyway and so I changed it to um being Enter Sandman and they went like mad and they're like this is the music you like on Eleanor this is heavy metal and I was like yes children yes it is and they were like jumping up and down on the bed and jumping up and down the floor and then their parents came in and were like, you're not meant to be on the bed. And I was like, I told them, but they wouldn't listen to me. But yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it's just one of those songs that has got a really good, like, it's like a sort of hard rock type beat, isn't it? And it's melodic. It's got a chorus you can sing along to. It's like a, it's just the closest thing you can kind of get to sort of a traditional pop song and be metal. I'm sure that, you know, obviously there's others, like it's like all of new metal, but mm -hmm. in terms of something that, it's sort of got cross-generational appeal and is a traditional metal band. I think it sort of fits those criteria, ticks those boxes. Yeah, I, uh, I think, yeah, that's a good choice, really. I mean, there's a reason it became the biggest metal song of all time. Plus, I was, you know, we were trying to get them to go to bed as well, and it's a sort of bedtime song, so it helped in that situation. <laughs> it did, <laughs> did not help. 
Yeah, fair. But I don't know. I think that just comes to mind when someone says name a metal song. That is always one that just comes to mind because it's such a big one. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, that is a really solid shout. I mean, I think, I'm basically thinking of all my different friends. <laughs> that sounded really wanky. All my different friends. I put the all words in the <laughs> How wrong How many order. different friends have you got? Like three. No, I was basically <laughs> thinking of my friends that are different types of people is what I meant to say. Sure. Um, and what I'd play them individually. Uh, I'd probably try something like, oh, man. I'd probably try something like corn, like maybe got the life of falling away from me. Maybe no, maybe no, maybe got the life because it's really pacey and bouncy, Such and it kicks in with that. Song. And and I think unless you basically don't like any music that comes under the term of catchy or fast or heavy, which covers a lot of ground, then I think you would find something in that song. Like I, I've really struggled to see how someone couldn't listen to that song and at least bang their head along to it or something. Do you know what yeah. I mean? No, it's really hard. <clears> and I'm probably thinking a little bit more around our age, age bracket. So kind of like anything from 20 to 40-ish, I think would, would come under that. Um, you know, maybe someone who's only ever listened to like David Bowie their whole life or something might not be as into that. I don't want to sound patronising, but you know what I mean. But I think, yeah, if you're into anything that's catchy or slightly heavy i think corn will probably make a good impression on you i'd like to think yeah it's really hard to choose isn't it because it's really hard like it's like which bit of metal do you showcase do you try and pick something middle of the road to appeal to everybody or do you try and pick something that is an example of a great technique or a great hook or a great riff or a great singer just goes to show how much good music there is in mel (laughs) i agree um sam welch says with the start of a new decade what is your favorite decade for metal or heavy music uh i've just cheated at this one so i'm gonna go for 95 to 2005 no 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 no, no i'm no, doing no, that no yeah no you you yeah. kept me to the rules no. i'm gonna keep you to this you, i've made you my decision no that's not a decade it is a period of 10 years yeah but that's not a decade come on so i have to pick the 80s and 90s. I think me and you are probably going to have the same The zero zeros here. or the 10s. Yeah, well, you know what my or problem the 70s. is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pick that. Sorry, 70s oh. fans. Um, yeah, well, fuck yeah. you, Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> we already said nice things about Ozzy. It's fine. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I mean, I got into metal in the early 2000s. So 2000 to 2010 would technically be like my favorite decade but having said that when I started getting into metal in the early 2000s a lot of the stuff I was listening to then was not only the new stuff but the stuff that I'd missed out in the 90s and the 90s has some amazing albums amazing bands amazing songs so it's sort of a competition between the 90s and the zero zeros which is why I wanted to go in the middle 95 to 2005 it seemed like a good bracket uh, yeah so, I can see why you were a bit um, I don't know I can't choose between the 90s and the noughties I guess oh, it's really hard because once you start going with one, you think about all the stuff you love about it, but then mm. you think about all the stuff that you would, couldn't have any other one. Yeah, cause, yeah, it's a loaded question. It's not just about the albums, is it? It's about the culture and the I feel like 90s vibe. has more evidence on its side, but I feel like because I was listening to stuff in the noughties, I want to kind of go in that direction. Mm. I think basically what I'm saying is objectively probably the 90s, but personally, maybe the noughties. Yeah. And I can't really decide between the two. 
I feel like the 90s was the metal's most exciting decade in terms of experimentation and like yeah. crazy characters and just so much color and like grit and, and weirdness and just just absolute madness. Um, I mean, I think the 80s have... Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, the 80s, you can make a very good argument for being the greatest decade ever because it's where metal kind of found its identity and um, became bigger than anyone thought it could be and produced so many classic and influential albums. Um, uh, you know so what? You don't want to choose either. No, I really don't. <laughs> I'd probably put the 2000s as well, but only because the 2000s still had most of the bands from the 80s and 90s active. It's <laughs> <laughs> true, yeah. Most of them. And for me personally, if I made a list of my like, favorite metal bands like my favorite 20 favorite metal bands ever i think the mass majority of them released at least one genuinely great album in the 2000s mm. i think yeah um you know uh, you could probably make that argument for the 90s as That's well but in the mean. 2000s you've got way. like you've got like kill switch coming through and avenged coming through um some of my favorite metal death bands like in flames and arch enemy released classic albums in that decade Iron Maiden released Brave New World in that decade. Marilyn Manson released Hollywood in that decade. Uh, Metallica, uh, I'd probably accept Death Magnetic. Linkin and a Park. little bit of that. Hybrid Theory came yeah. out then, yeah. Limp Bizkit, Chocolate Starfish. Yeah, of course, Chocolate Starfish. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, but then the 90s had stuff like At The Gates and, oh God, it's hard. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you pick noughties, I'll pick noughties. And then okay, we'll, we'll, got it covered. We'll, we'll share. <laughs> it's just definitely cheating it's like when you want two desserts and then you pick them and you have half each I know a pub that does a wicked dessert platter it's amazing why did you not tell me about this earlier because it's in Hemel Hempstead oh. <laughs> which you're welcome to come hang out in now I once anytime. wrote a feature when I was working for a magazine for the pub trade bit off topic but I went, went to do a feature on this pub that did a dessert menu like a dessert evening and there were seven desserts had a tiny main course and then ate seven whole desserts. Oh my god! So I did that and then wrote a feature about it. It was amazing. I'm amazed you could with the sugar rush. You must have been. It's going one of through. the best features. You sidetracked this fucking thing again with sugary stuff. I Stop it! I it. swear to God. What was it last week? It. Was it desserts again? I don't know. It was ice cream a few weeks ago, and then you and Jimmy went on waffle one last week. Oh my god! Um, you do the next question. Joe Fisher. <laughs> I can't, I'm getting tired because I'm I'm not keeping you focused. Joe Fleischer asks, when a band you love releases a single or two months in advance of a new record, do you feel there's a danger of you playing it so much you'll be tired of it when the album comes out? I don't think this will happen with Cavillatac's banging new song, Crack of Doom, but it did with 1985. 1985 was actually the kind of status quo-y song they did off the last album, which I was not so keen on. Uh, Yeah, so basically, if a band releases a song before the record comes out, do you play it too much and get sick of it? So, wanky journalist hat on for this. I actually find a lot of the time, because we're very lucky to get... um, Well, I say lucky, it's also part of our jobs. We need to get them early. But we get get a lot of these albums early, so by the time they come out, we've been smashing them for a couple of months. And I Mm. do actually sometimes find that when an album actually comes out... I'm not quite so hyped on it as others are. I'm hyped to see everyone else get to hear it because it's like, yes, it's so good. But sometimes I find myself being a bit like I'm onto the next thing and then 
I kind of come back round to the album again after a couple more weeks after that. Do you know what I mean? It depends how it is. Especially some, if we're playing it a lot in the office or... Some of them I smash and some of them I don't listen to a lot. And then when they come out, I listen to them a lot because I've kind of gone, yeah, that's out. We've mm. we've done something on that. I'm kind of moving on to the next thing. And then when it's released, I'm like, oh, I'm going to listen to it loads now. Mm. And like, it really depends on the record. Um, I try not to listen to singles too much when they come out, to be honest with Mel, because it, it, for exactly that reason, I don't yeah. want to... I don't want that song to become over familiar by the time I hear it in the context of the record. It is really annoying sometimes, I was just going to say, when it stands out too much on the record. Like, um, you know, you've heard like four singles of it or something and you've played them a lot. And then when the record comes out, it's hard for me anyway, for my brain to process it as a whole thing then because mm. um, it's like lit up more by the ones I've heard more and they're just more familiar. So it's nice sometimes to just kind of have it all the way through. Yeah, definitely. But... It's- on the other hand, if it's a really good song, then it's great to yeah. have it out. And you're just like, yeah, this is amazing. And no you just want to play complaining about time. having good music to listen to. No, no <laughs> one's complaining about having songs out before the record that you can listen to and get hyped up It's about. just that thing though, isn't it? Like sometimes uh, when, a band's, when a band's that good and they put a single out, often you'll play that song and you'll love it. And then you'll think, I want to listen to more stuff exactly like this now, but I can't because there's nothing yeah, totally, else exactly yeah. like this because the band's evolved a little bit and done something really exciting and there's no other bands that sound exactly like this totally. so I've got no choice but listen to this song all the time um, it's something that annoys me a little bit about the and it, well I understand why they do it because it's a different culture but I, I like a lot of dance music and the dance music scene is very heavily revolved around singles and EPs a lot of the time mm. um, and that can be annoying because you hear this wicked track and you want to contextualise it but you can't really envelop yourself into the music enough because it's like one three minute song and then it's done and then there's nothing else around that you can quite scratch that itch with so yeah we feel you joe we feel you rob lake says i'm a gardener by occupation give me your best garden themed bands or tracks i only get people tell me to listen to guns and roses or the stone roses (laughs) well (laughs) Uh, i have some tracks for this I didn't think of any albums. I was just laughing at the absolute even. paucity of those puns, by the way. Guns so, and yeah. roses, yeah. or the stone, roses. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> didn't stretch very far, that, did it? Uh, so mine are Hanging Garden by The Cure. Nice. Which is on the record, Pornography. The Flowers of Evil by Marilyn Manson from Born Villain. Oh, I was going to say I didn't recognise that Manson track. Born Villain's one of the only albums I don't listen to a lot. Flowers of Evil is good. Good find. He, sing- he says the word flowers in a really Manson-y way. Um, Rosemary by Deftones, which is on Koino Yokan. Oh, nice. How did you find these? I just, well, thought, just came to thought of them out of my head. Oh, my word. Sometimes it happens. Rose of Sharon by Killswitch Engage. Oh, of course. From the end of Heartache. <laughs> thought you would get that one. No. Uh, Garden by Pearl Jam from 10. Oh, that's awesome. Well, on that note, I thought of Sound Garden. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I didn't think of any bands. I missed that completely. Um, uh and the the <laughs> and the down song how the leaf <laughs> <laughs> slightly different leaf but it's still it's got to grow somewhere it's got to grow somewhere and that's all i've got <laughs>